You are listening to the LTN Book Club, a bi-weekly read-along podcast positioned at the intersection of nerd and literary culture. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club. Hello and welcome to this very special alt-content episode of the LTN Book Club podcast. Uh, Tonight we are talking about the book called Lent by Joe Walton. Uh, For the first and probably only time on our podcast, uh, we have a content warning for heresy. (laughs) This book contains uh, what John very nicely called uh, speculative theology. And uh, some of the things that we're going to talk about, you may not agree with uh, for your own personal faith. Some of the things that we profess, you may not agree with. Um, Our views are our own and not necessarily reflective of the views of Love Thy Nerd as a whole organization. Uh, We are parachurch, um, so we span um, many different flavors of Christianity. Uh, With that said, um, there's not really a way to talk about this book without spoiling it. So we're going to get going. That being Um, said, before we go down that route, uh, this is a great book. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, It's speculative historical fiction. So, yeah, just kind of keeping that in mind. It's heavily researched. So good. So if you want to read it without spoilers, pause and go read it. It's short. Come back and then we can. It's short, but it is heavy lifting. Um, It is, for sure. (laughs) uh, I am Madeline Turnipseed, and tonight uh, John Campoverde is joining me. (laughs) Um, Yay. uh, So tell us uh, a little bit about this book. Give us the setup, John. Okay. um, So Lent follows a real-life historical character, Hiralamo Savonarola, who was a... Dominican monk in Florence at the late 15th century um, who was burned for as a heretic uh, by the Catholic church um, known for bringing out a lot of reforms in Florence um, mm-hmm. where he served um, as a monk uh, particularly known for his bonfire of vanities, which uh, has been characterized kind of like a burnt, like, So Joe Walton calls it a burning man, kind of this like celebration of um, more like burning man where it's like a celebration of like being of like sanctification, I guess, Mm -hmm. getting rid of the things that um, would have been a temptation Mm -hmm. books on witchcraft and the like. Um, But some people have characterized it as like a book, your typical book burning. Yep. um, Like. Fahrenheit 451 kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know enough about this era of history. Um, we kind of skipped over the Renaissance in my church history classes in, in seminary <laughs> so much. And really it all changed with the Reformation. Um, so, but yeah. Um, so it's, it's in Florence in the late 15th century. Think um, Columbus is just discovering the new world. Um, I think the current Pope 
that starts the series is related to the Medici's. Think that era of Florence uh, and the Borgia. So a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of um, content in mainstream media right now of this area. Uh, not, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, of this era, right? Like there was a Medici show and there's a Borgia show and they have different books. It's a very common uh, history era for historical fiction. Um, and like I said, the book follows that real life character, but twist, bum, bum, bum. Um, and this is where things get a little crazy. Uh, Hiralamo is actually a demon who part of his torment is to be born into on earth as a human raise and live a life of piety, believing he will be saved. Mm-hmm. And then upon dying, going back to hell and being punished and living out the agony of being close to God, but then not being in his presence or like realizing how foolish he was um, and living out that like realization over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to be talking about uh, demonology and hell We'll be talking about soteriology, salvation, um, and and heaven and hell and all of that. And then we'll be talking a little bit about ecclesiology in the church and kind of how that plays, how that plays in Rolimo's story Mm -hmm. um, in this era. Yeah. Um, So when I first saw this book pitch um, in a, in a review online, they said it's like, Groundhog Day, but in Renaissance Florence. And I was like, sounds great. Where yeah. do I sign? <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. It's so good though. Mm-hmm. Walton has some really great like sections where she just like talks and it's like uh you just want to sit in it. Well written, good prose. Mm-hmm. Really, really well done. Um so uh, there are a couple of uh, anachronistic things that we we picked up on the book, um, and part of that is you know this was written. Um, I didn't actually write down what era this was when this was published, but um, this was written uh, early two thousand. Yeah, um, within the last ten years, uh, so it, unavoidable for for the flavor of the modern era to to affect it, but it doesn't take away from the the overall message of the book. I don't think. Uh, 2019. Sorry. Thank you. 2019 publishing year. So like in every um, conversation about religion in this era that we're having right now, you're going to be talking about gender um, and the role of gender in the church uh, or in religion. Um, and so there's um, a character, Isabella, who is one of Hiralamo's friends, mistress, um, and Hiralamo wants his friend to join the Dominican order that he's a part of. But in order to do that, he would have to leave his mistress and Hiralamo finds out that his mistress has like the ability to like have visions and some kind of like spiritual powers. And so he wants her to also dedicate herself to, to the Lord um, and service to him. But the like, while a, Typical, typical monastery will take Pico, Hiralamo's friend, that she is only allowed, she would only be allowed to go to a Magdalene 
convent, which would mean where she would pay penance for fornicating and having sex outside of marriage. Um, Meanwhile, the man in the situation would not have to do that. And so he would still have to confess, but would not have to go to like, he would have to go to specialized, (laughs) a specialized monastery for men who had sex outside of marriage. Even the, the gay character in the book wouldn't have to go to a special monastery because he liked men. Like, so there's just, so they have a conversation about the double standard between men and women, which is poignant and wonderful and necessary. Mm-hmm. Don't think it would have happened in late 15th century Florence. Don't see that being on the, on the forefront of conversation at the time. Um, but then and if again, it did, it certainly wouldn't have been as well received. I don't think. Oh yeah. No, for sure. Girolamo who in the book is like, you know what? You're right. Let me see if I can swing my weight around a little bit. <laughs> right. So that this, so in the book, Isabella does join a, uh, a convent and it's a real life convent, Santa, the convent of Santa Catarina uh, in Florence, who, if you Google it, you'll find a lot of references to a particular nun who was who one of the first women to paint a full size last supper. Um, this convent was known for having nuns who were artistic. And they were very, they were devotees of Hiralamo, the historical Hiralamos, like reformation, reforming monastic pra- practices. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, there is that tie there, but I just don't see a convent in the Renaissance, like, just doing that because the double standard was just so, and especially within the Roman Catholic Church, was so prevalent. Um, in, it, I mean, to the point that it carried into the Protestant Church. Um, post the Reformation, which happens about 20 years after this. Um, yeah, ish. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm just like, I don't know. And then you see it also with Lucrezia Medici, who is a character in this book as well, because it happens in Florence with the Medici family ruling. And she is very smart. I mean, obviously she's a Medici, like they're kind of, um, characterized without history as being a bit underhanded, a bit political. Um, but she is smart, cunning, wise, like wise. Like she is, she would have had all the political power if she had been born a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Hiralamo kind of, after his conversation with Isabella in a next life or some of his lives does kind of lift her up that way. Um, which I don't again, see happening in, or being as well received as it was in the book in 15th century Florence. But other than that, like, I mean, but then again, like who's to say what would have happened if, if your was an actual demon reliving yes. all of his lives. <laughs> so. Yeah. Right. Like it, maybe it didn't happen in this timeline, but in a different timeline, it does. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> so. Uh, so with that, we're going to get into the big meat of the book. Um, there's a lot of meat here. This is going to be a very chewy episode. Um, so strap in and, uh, get your fingers ready to type us all the comments. Cause I want to read your <laughs> yes, thoughts on this. Definitely want to hear what y'all have to say about this. Please talk to us. Cause it's the best mm-hmm. kind of conversation to have with this kind of subject matter is to be able to talk with other people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So starting out with the most obvious, um, the topic of demons in hell, uh, Urolimo, and uh, we meet another demon later on in the book, uh, Crookback, um, which is his demonic name. Um, or is that his demonic name? He goes. Yeah, that is his demonic name. But then it's his because it's also his nickname on Earth. Nickname on Earth. Uh, This was a reimagining of Richard the Third. Um, who in our current timeline uh, was dead before the start of this, <laughs> the start before the start of the events of the book. But um, Walton imagined a world where he became a mercenary in uh, Italy, and that's how um, Girolamo rather came than dying him. on the battlefield in England, he fled to mainland and became a mercenary. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to me, John, about this idea of um, re your life on Earth, not your life, but the, their lives on Earth as as torment. Um, yeah. Um, so let's maybe our listeners don't have a good understanding of like the basics of demonology in a yeah. Christian worldview. Um, so the idea behind demons is that they're angels who rebelled against God. Um, and were cast out of heaven and eventually will be cast into a fiery pit um, at the end of days. That's pretty much it. And they have, you know, their leader was Lucifer, who's now Satan, and they come and they live on, and they have been given power and authority over the earth. That's the basic understanding of what demons are and who demons are. Um, So there's not, like, the idea of hell in the traditional sense is that fiery pit that we're thinking about is how we picture hell. So like the idea that demons would die and go to hell in this current era of the church is not something that I think would necessarily happen, but it was a beautiful device that Walton used in this book um, (laughs) because hell is the absence of God. Um, And I think most, most theologians you talk to will say that like they will talk about how, um, hell as a punishment is not only torment, but it's also absence of God, the absence of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does that mean in terms of, um, I think Walton really explores this well, because when we talk about the divine, um, we tie to it certain fundamental attributes that we experience in the world around us. Um, things like the truth and beauty, kindness, um, fruits of the spirit would definitely go in there. Um, Beauty is a big one um, because the transcendental that is tied to the divine, um, which is a, a really like, and I feel like Walton is a, as at some point nodding to a theology of art and story because mm-hmm. um, most Christian theologians who study fiction uh, would talk about how story is, a, is reflecting the divine story or reflecting the gospel um, and it points us to God because it allows us to experience images uh, or pictures or reflections of the real world. Um, and as such, like Tolkien said, it points to the true mm-hmm. um, like divine story and the true resolution and the true, he uses the word eucatastrophe or like the, the work done on the cross. And so that's what we're talking about there. Um, and so when you have the absence of God, you have the absence of all of those things. And so, uh, Hirolamo talks about how, 
um, in hell, uh, anything you say, even in kindness gets twisted. Mm-hmm. There's no, nothing you can say that can be beautiful. Um, nothing that you can say that it could be kind. It's all going to be misconstrued or you can't, the other person's going to take it the wrong way. And so there's no real way to communicate, um, in a, in a quote divine way or in a, the way that would reflect like God's character, mm-hmm. um, in a loving way is really what it boils down to. Um, God is love. And so that was really, really interesting to think about. Um, also bring, I mean, like the typical questions of hell bring up the question, you know, is God able to create a place where he doesn't exist if he's omnipresent? Um, and what does that feel? What does that sound feel like in terms of, is it, and then it brings up the question is, is the absence of God really his, the absence of his presence or is it just his silence? Like he's, you can't, he's there. You just can't like interface with his qualities. Um, and we see a little bit of that when Hirolamo finds out that he's a demon on earth, um, mm-hmm. because he like, so every iteration before this lived a life of piety, you know, reformed, brought about the city of God, very Augustine mm-hmm. life's like thoughts there in Florence. And then the church, he gets too powerful. The church goes after him, burns him, burns him at the stake as a, as a martyr, as a heretic. And he dies and he comes back, but he's living this life that he thinks is devoted to God. And he feels this presence that is God. And then when he finds out he's a demon, well, that, that all, that automatically goes away and he can't, he feels like he can't pray all of his whole life feels like a lie. It's a sham. Mm-hmm. There's no way to come closer to God, um, which is all he's lived for his entire, every other iteration of his human life. And so, um, you know, is that like, gosh, like, I don't even, how do you even unpack that? I don't, I, I feel like we could all identify it to some extent with that in the sense of like God's silence and what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it's, I do. It's, it's particularly, it. um, heartbreaking because in the, in the first iteration that we see in the book, um, Girolamo has no idea that he's a demon until he dies. And so one of the last things that he does um, before his death is uh, lead his two brothers in, um, in the, it's called the Eucharist, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in in, communion, in communion, if you are not um, Catholic, I'm uh, was raised evangelical Protestant. So that's where I'm coming from. Um, And the sacrament, that he leads them in when uh, the wine in their tradition turns into blood and the the bread turns into the body of Christ. Um, and it's so miraculous. Um, and even though this in the Catholic tradition is something that happens every time you observe, it's, it is such a precious miracle um, to observe on, on the night before your death. And then, to go to hell and and have all of that completely ripped away from you. And then to realize um, like a couple of chapters later when he's on earth, everything I've been doing is a lie. Up until that point, when he prayed, he felt like God was there and God would listen. And then remembering what it was like to actually be in heaven and be with God uh, before the fall um, and feeling his 
immense, vast separation from God. He's like, I, I could pray, but what is the point that God exists and I believe in him, but there is no way that my words mm-hmm. would ever get to him. Which then enter his friends, the humans who intercede for him. Um, it takes him a while, him a while to get to the point where he can do that. But eventually um, Isabella particularly uh, becomes his intercessor, which is a reflection of the Catholic understanding of how the saints and Mary um, intercede on, on the Christian's behalves before God. Mm-hmm. Um, because they are closer to God. And so therefore we give, we send our requests to them and they make them known to God. Um, so it's, it's this like, it, it makes sense if you're Catholic, right? Well, I can't talk to the saints because they're too close to God. So I'm going to talk to the people who can talk to the saints who can talk to like, it's, we're mm-hmm. just going to send it further up the ladder or for one more and more rung down. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. go to the next rung up and let it go up. Um, yeah, I mean, if that's your, that's your understanding of how prayer works, then that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really, it was really beautiful to see that, um, mm-hmm. like, uh, community aspect of them coming around him and, and working for his salvation. Um, which the book, uh, kind of assumes a universal salvation, the idea of purgatory, um, being a heavy play here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like all things are meant, like there's going to be a time when you're going to be working towards your purification so that all people will be saved. Um, and so, which is very different from our reformation influence, influence theology, which is, you know, we have our five solas and sola fide. Um, and so like only faith saved by faith, right. Ephesians two, eight, nine, you know, I, I did a Wanas as a kid, so I um those are those are the verses, you know, that are in the back of my head, say by grace mm-hmm. through faith, right? Yep. Um but in this book with purgatory that's purgatory is like a is a constant theme that they come back to in terms of, you know, human the humans or people believers are gonna go to purgatory and then eventually be before before God, um, you see them talk about it when Lorenzo, uh, Lorenzo dies. Um, basically, anyone in the book is coming close to death. They're going to be talking about purgatory and li- and being ref- like being sanctified and going through the refining fire, um, so that they can draw close to him, mm-hmm. uh, to his beatific vision, which is just his presence. Um, and it brings up a really interesting question: of is the earth a demon purgatory that they relive over and over again. And human beings are just inhabitants of this to help them. Um, like if purgatory and uh, universal salvation exists, mm-hmm. like that's the question that the book is kind of playing with. Um, I don't think Walton is literally asking the question, but she kind of frames the the narrative it's, in that way. Yeah, yeah. It's the narrative device that allows for the story to play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that Earth is demon purgatory, um, and so, which I mean, it speaks a little bit to, um, like, 
the need for community um, within religion or within faith within our faith in the sense that um, we are not meant to be by ourselves. Even um, <laughs> even in his torment, Duralamo has friends. Right. And that's part of the, what is the goodness of earth is the ability to experience that. Um, in his case, he realizes how futile it is when he goes back to hell because, and he can't make friends on hell. Um, but nope. <laughs> can't have community. He can't have those, that closeness, that relationship that he has with Pico or, um, Angelo or, basically any other characters that they have there, all that he experiences in hell is strife and division. Um, so I think it's one of the things that Walton is talking about in terms of like, so funny that she, that she said this right before the reformation in the sense that like, um, which is the, you know, the great schism, one of the great schisms in church history. There's the, the East, East and West, West split that happens at the fall of the Roman empire. And then there's the reformation that happens within the Western church. Um, and so those are, you know, one of the great schisms division that happens there, but here or she's making a, making a point to point to show that like, it's the iron sharpening iron of those relationships that really, um, like refines, um, Geralimo after he realizes who, what he is um, mm-hmm. helps him process that and think through it and find, um, I mean, they're, they're helping him find a way to be saved um, because there is a work-based salvation in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's interesting um, that you point that out because as Girolamo realizes <clears throat> through multiple iterations, how, He's like, I've, I've tried to do everything right. I've tried to bring all of the great, uh, the great thinkers and theologians that I have contacts with into my circle. I try and, you know, I tried to be the Pope and I was the Pope and that didn't work. Um, I don't know. Um, like he, then so he's like, I've, I've tried everything that I could think of. So I'm going to try the wildest things that I can think of. And he goes far away from all of the people that he knows and loves. And, you know, I'm going to go, to uh, try and reclaim Jerusalem. I'm going to try and go and, you know, go on the road and go to pilgrimage to all the people that brother Marcelio writes letters to from, from far away. I'm going to go to the new world on Columbus's boat. Um, And, and every time, like those are some of the shortest chapters because they're the, the lives that for the purposes of our story, bring him the least, um, mm-hmm. the least community, the least unity in reaching out towards um, the people around him um, in, in order to, in order to bring himself closer to his salvation. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Like, and those are the, those are the, so the, one of the devices that Walton uses in this book is the chapter titles mm-hmm. are taken from the Lord's prayer. Um, and those chapters, it's just a repetition of the same line over and over and over again. Like he's stalled, um, in, Mm -hmm. in the prayer, uh, like he can't get any further, any further. And then it's when he decides to stay in Florence that Mm -hmm. he gets, it's one, one more word, one more word until you get to the last chapter 
which is the full line, mm-hmm. um, attains it. So it's, but in order to do that, he has to have community, not just with humanity, but also with demon, which is an interesting Mm-hmm. Before before we talk about that, I feel like we should also mention uh, where the the chap the, excuse me the title of the book comes from. Yes, uh, it's uh, which chapter is it that they that they make the play? So this the book itself takes place during the Lenten time in the church calendar, which is the forty days before Easter. It's a t- period of, of fasting and of purification. Uh, from the sins of the year to bring you closer to Easter, um, which celebration of the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, so th- on one level, she's talking about the era, the time period, because everything basically takes place during Lent. Mm-hmm. Um, the sense of like fasting, of denying oneself in order to. But it's chapter, what chapter is it? Chapter 17 when we, after the first iteration of Geralmo's life, um, they talk about how he is lent to earth and then comes like every, every time to be reborn. And so there's that as well. It's like, he's a demon lent to earth for a purpose is and returned to moment, and then returned yeah, to hell and then lent and returned. And so she's playing off of, so you start the book and you're like, oh, it takes place during Lent. So of course it's named Lent. And then you hit chapter 17 and it's like, oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Lent is, he's being Lent and returned. And so you go through phases of Lent returned, Lent returned uh, mm-hmm. throughout the book. Uh, you get like those chapters, uh, parts, it's like part four, part five. Nope, doesn't work. Nope, doesn't work. Nope, doesn't work. <laughs> um, and then, he, you know, it's, you get to like, you get to the last few chapters where he is actually um, like stays in Florence um, and get more conversations. But well, part of it is like, you get more conversations with other characters in the book. Um, but also like, he's around the people that he knows. And then, there's some pretty interesting symbolism into like this. So he tries six times to what they call harrow hell, break it open. So, which is a theological term, Christ harrowed hell in the sense that he broke open Hades or Sheol um, to grab the Old Testament saints and take them to heaven at his as death and resurrection. Um, and so Geralimo is trying to do that to for the demons is the idea is the main like his overarching purpose once he realizes who he is what finds um what's called the stone of Tyrell, which is a holy grail reference kind of magical mystical stone that we don't really hear more about um that is meant to be a key to hell to open the gates to allow the demons out uh, not to inhabit the earth per se, but to be restored mm-hmm. um, to God's presence. So, um, so he does that six times and it fails. And then on the seventh time is when it succeeds. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of numerology um, 
at least some that like he and, and brother Marcelio, one of the other um, monks in Florence talk about um, there's some interesting uh, and we can talk about this a little bit in the next section too, but it seemed like that they, many of the <clears throat> the theologians and the thinkers of the day took even like uh, Dante's uh, triptych as something akin to gospel, if not complete gospel itself, mm. and would quote from it and and compare arguments from it when uh, when talking about um, yeah what the right um, thing to do is and and how things work in real life. And that was it. That's actually an interesting point of Renaissance theology is the sense that there. So one of the main people uh, is Anselm and he is a, he said all truth is God's truth. Um, and so um, with the Renaissance uh, of humanism and classicism, neoclassicism and the return to Plato and Aristotle and Pliny and all of these like Greek um, and Roman uh, thinkers, um, there was a marriage of the, the, the thoughts of both into church and theology. So, mm-hmm. um, if you visit monasteries in Greece or in Rome, you'll, I, I can remember I was in Meteor, Greece, which is, um, full of monasteries is beautiful. Um, and they have uh, the entryway to the chapel in one monastery on the left-hand side, they have the old Testament prophets. So, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Daniel, David. And on the right-hand side, it was all of the Greek prophets, which are like Plato, Socrates, um, the, uh, what's her name? The oracles. There's a, the, I'm going to blank. No, it's going to drive me nuts. Um, it starts with an S. I don't know. There's some female like a uh, poet um, Rick Riordan features her in one of his series too. He, she writes uh, articles or uh, not articles. She writes uh, prophecies. I was going to drive me mad, but anyway, there's a female prophet. The Greeks recognize um, this is a Greek Orthodox monastery. So it's a little different, but that's pretty much at this, like what's happening in this era of church history um, is they're trying to reconcile all things to God, including the humanistic slash classic thinkers. Um, and so they're interfacing with Plato. They're interfacing with platonic idealism and um, what the church, and because the church fathers, people like um, people like Augustine and before Augustine, people like um, Polycarp or um, Origen or, um, you know, all of these heavy hitters in the early church theology, they were interfacing with it too. And so they were mm-hmm. trying to bring that back as part of the Renaissance. Um, so you see a lot of references to that um, for good, good cause. And that's why a lot of this conversation about um, rebirth and is tying back to those concepts that were discussed in, you know, the third century BCE. Um, so. talking about harrowing hell Mm -hmm. right um and so apparently throughout the whole book like we've been talking about how it's Duralamo's like unity with the other people around him that allows for him to um feel purpose in his life um and eventually it's unity with Kirkback 
that allows him to harrow hell. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, and there's this wonderful quote, I think that you pointed out in chapter 47. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, So they start out at the very beginning of the book. um, Walton does uh, with the, the quote that most Americans know from Abraham Lincoln, but is um, actually a, a verse in the Bible, and I think it's in Deuteronomy. Um, House divided against itself cannot stand, and I can open up Matthew. that part of the book and find out. Um, oh, yeah, 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 that's Matthew. Apologies. Matthew 12, 25 through 26. Um, is where she's quoting from. So she begins the book uh, with several quotes, that being one of them. And then uh, in our final piece of the story, when um, Girolamo comes into contact with Kirkback, um, and I will back up a little bit and say, Girolamo figured out that Crookback was a demon before Crookback figured out he was a demon, at least on Earth. Um, and keeps running into him f- through each of his iterations. And Crookback keeps trying to get the stone from him. Um, and the stone of Titerel, um, this uh, object that they would use to, to harrow hell. <clears throat> um, and Girolamo never trusts that he's going to do what he says, thinks that he's evil, because of course he's a demon. Um, Girolamo is also a demon, but... Um, Towards the end of the book, um, he starts to say you know, a few times, you know, we can't talk in hell. Um, we can't. And this goes back to what John was saying, that, that no one can be genuine or be taken in a genuine manner, that everything gets twisted in hell. So we can't we can't talk. We can't make any plans. We can't make any progress in hell. Um, and so finally, um, Kirkback comes in the form of a demon and possesses uh a priest that's um, helping Girolamo uh, have his last um, last confessional um, and possesses him and says, you have to trust me. Hell is always divided against itself. If we can do this together, that is what is impossible to say in hell. The house divided against itself cannot stand. And that means that hell cannot stand. Girolamo says, let's bring it down, brother. And like, after seeing them be so much at odds with each other, um, mm. Crookback being kind of like a a secondary like thorn in his side throughout every iteration, because Drill was like, I have to figure out how to do this. I have to figure out how to do this. Um, and then kind of off screen, um, Crookback is going through his own, um, we can assume from what he says, is going through his own struggles and and purification if we take this with the the purgatory um and says we have to if this is going to happen we have to do Mm -hmm. it together Mm -hmm. yeah it's this like theme of of community and unity and man it's so good i'm just like here for it I was like, I, and you know, it's, it is definitely something that's poignant, um, for 2019, which is, I think why the book was so well received, um, the site, cause we're, 
you know, it's, uh, there's no, not that Walton is trying to speak to the American context. because She's not American. Um, she's Welsh Canadian. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's published by Tor. So there is an, an American audience and the issues that we're seeing in America are, are not just in the U S. Um, so the, like, I don't even, um, this like sense of like, you need the other people in your life, um, to help you become a better person. Um, we help each other be better. Um, and like, that's what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, I don't know, it's just inspiring. Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, in our outline, uh, John wrote, if hell is, if hell is division is heaven unity. Um, yes. Which is go for it. Oh, it's, it's incredibly powerful. Um, like I think, I think about, um, Aaron Wormbier's story about how she's in, uh, they're traveling the U S and, and they've had a, a heck of a time in, in Las Vegas, but they're watching the sunset out. I believe on the Grand Canyon. Um, and the sunset is so gorgeous that she uh, just starts clapping as soon as it's done. And they're there with like 40 or 50 other strangers, the people that are out also sitting on the edge of the Canyon. Um, mm-hmm. And as soon as she starts clapping at the end of the sunset, everyone else starts clapping. Like, but nobody's making fun of her. Uh, there was no like, pre-scripted hey let's all clap because it'll be cool at the end of the sunset everyone just like felt the moment and was present for it and responded accordingly and that that's like that's the little bit of heaven that we do get to experience here on earth Mm -hmm. is when we Mm -hmm. as as humans can respond corporately together um in a to to the beauty and the truth that we see around us um and that's eventually what um, Girolamo and and Crookback were able to achieve. Yeah, and it's it's a very orthodox thought um, because we're talking about like uh, you know the visions of heaven that were given in the Book of Revelation show unity, right, mm-hmm. amongst um, diversity, um, not so not uniformity, but unity, um, which, you know, the difference, not everyone is the same, but everyone is together. Um, and so that's the, that's the picture of Shalom, right? Like the idea of the, of the Edenic state, this perfect union of all creation together, Mm -hmm. um, worshiping God in whatever language they speak and just being there and being present. Um, and so I, as a, as a Christian, like, that uh, honestly makes me feel like I need to do better at being being an agent of unity instead of division um, in terms of like the words I say and the people I react to and how I, but like, and it becomes complicated because you're like, okay, at what point do you like, do you speak up in terms of like, like someone does something wrong. Do you say, Hey, like we should, we should be more united. Like how do you, how do you bridge like the reformation? Mm-hmm. Right. 
this church is doing something wrong. We need to say something about it. It leads to schisming. And, but like, it's, it's a complicated situation because like I, for one in history, look at the reformation and say, yeah, Martin Luther, I see you and John Calvin doing good things, trying to bring us back to like true Christianity. Um, don't like that. It ended up with the church split, but I understand what you were doing. Um, but it also, I don't know. It just makes me want to be more ecumenical is really what it boils down to. Mm -hmm. Um, and I say that as a, so I was raised in evangelical Spanish speaking, evangelical Christianity transitioned into a Baptist church, then non-denom for the majority of my adult life. And now I'm a Methodist. Right. So like, <laughs> this is the closest you've ever been to Catholicism. <laughs> I know I'm just getting closer and closer to high church. And like, I seriously debated becoming an Anglican. One of my best friends in, in seminaries and it, it became an Anglican priest. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so it's just, I don't know. I think the closer, the more and more you study about God, the more you realize like all the other stuff doesn't matter as long as you love Jesus. Um, and so it's, it really is, um, heaven is unity. And if we're to bring heaven on earth, um, agents of heaven on earth, right. If that to reflect our true citizenship, uh, how can we be those agents of unity? I think Walton is trying to bring that up. Um, for the Christians who read her book, I don't think she's expecting everyone who reads it to be Christian. Um, but I do see a big, big, like, not that every story has to have a moral, but this is just kind of like this one definitely has us. a moral. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, it's pointing towards that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. That even though it's about demon unity for good, it it's speaking to humans, human unity. Well, and, and I mean, if we're being honest, Christians are the worst at like categorizing the other as you know satanic or demonic um like or even hello. like uh, within our own different denominations like well yeah i believe this and they're they're close but <laughs> yeah well like okay so i told people i was you know we, we joined a methodist church mm-hmm. um and so one of my friends from college um which madeline and i went to the same university we know um a lot of what the christian culture at our university was like mm-hmm. um and i was really big in the bubble um and so i have a lot of friends from the bubble and one of my friends from the bubble reached out to me. He's like, I see you're going to a Methodist church. Like, I'm worried about you. Oh, gosh. And I was like, do you, uh, like, because like, how, what, what's your stance on women, women in leadership in the church? Right. Like, oh my gosh, like this is this. Has he not been issue. paying attention to anything else you posted? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously though. Um, or what's your, what's your stance on, on gay clergy? Because that's another big thing in Methodism mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, yeah, they're like, I just feel like, you know, John Wesley might've had some good ideas, but the Methodist church has just gone off the rails, blah, 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 all those things. And I was like, but they still love Jesus, dude. Like, I don't have to agree with everything about that. They say, not that I, you know, I, I have some thoughts and this isn't the avenue at me on Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like at the end of the line, like they love Jesus, they preach the gospel um, so why, why should I worry about it? Like, why should we be so, Oh, like they're not 
a five point Calvinist. So I can't be their friend or they're not, I can't be in fellowship with them. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, like this is, this is why people are so angry at the church. Cause mm-hmm. we, and like, I mean, as a nerd, right. I see that happening because I'm a, I'm a Christian with a seminary degree, but I'm the Dungeons and Dragons club sponsor at my local public high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, Oh my gosh, Dungeons and Dragons. I can't play that. My parents would be so mad. They think it's the devil. And I'm like, Oh gosh, like, how do you, how do you have those conversations of like anything we don't understand? We just label satanic. Um, when in reality, like we should be seeking to find God in everything. If, 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 yeah. God is the ultimate creator, right? All creation reflects him and the creations of creations, the sub creations reflect him. And so where's, where's God in all of that? Like he's there cause he's mm-hmm. omnipresent. He's in all things. Um, and I don't know. I'm just like, I'm on a soapbox now. I do apologize. <laughs> uh, but this but, whole thing is just about unity. Like how are we trying, we're trying to find so many things to divide ourselves with like, Oh, even in fandoms, right? Like, are you a sub or a dub? Mm-hmm. Can I just not be someone who likes anime? Like, is that, do I have to be one or the other? Like, does it PC <laughs> master race? Like, no, <laughs> like it just need to be that way. Like it just, just, just love each other and be friends. Like, don't, <laughs> don't make us, them, us, them, even though we try. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what this book is trying to point out is like the things that th- the, the thing that, Harrow's hell that breaks apart the absence of God is unity with other people. And I think the church is meant to show that. Um, Not that the church in the book does that because the Roman Catholic church in the book is kind of, I mean, (laughs) John has questions about the Roman Catholic church in the book. He's a little bit. I mean, it's, it's typical Renaissance theology and like it is the villain in the historical Girolamo story. Because he was a reformer and he and was the Pope had the, two sons that were the leaders of his personal army. So yes. Yeah. Like there were some you know, real problems here. Yes. Like the Pope who wasn't supposed to have children because he was supposed to be celibate had two sons. Right. And Gerolamo was like, uh, I don't know if this is really the way things are supposed to go. Like, are we corrupt? No, he, is corruption happening? <laughs> <laughs> and he would, he was very much, um, an Enneagram eight in the sense that he would just get up and say it and mm-hmm. preach it from the pulpit. Like he was mm-hmm. just go for it. Um, and so multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Which is it, why he got burned at the stake as a heretic. Yes. Um, because not because he was wrong, but because the people in power didn't want him to keep because it. he wouldn't be quiet. Yeah. Um, so, but on the flip side, like the church is meant to be the Avenue by which people are exposed to God's grace and, and salvation. Um, and so it's obviously it doesn't have the power for Geralimo in the book because he's a demon. Um, but at the same time, like is the church like institution is the church, the people that you're around. Mm -hmm. I think it's the people you're like the fellow believers around you. Um, and those are salvific for Geralimo. Mm -hmm. They do bring him closer to God and, help him be sanctified and salvation in the sense of sanctification, not necessarily um, glorification or justification for being specific in our soteriology. Um, But yeah, I don't know. That's pretty good. Um, 
And I, but I think that's also reflected at, at the end of the book as well. Um, that whenever he he's hanging by a rope and his death, whenever he falls, he's facing the what did I say? He's facing the uh, the dome of the cathedral, mm-hmm. um, and whenever he falls, the rope twists, and then he turns to face the palace of the people. So the building where all of the the political decisions yeah. in in the city are made um and that salvation for Girolamo isn't going to come through the church even though that is what he's devoted most of his life to doing it's going to come through working with his fellow demon instead of his fellow man mm-hmm. yeah and it's from and it does it does kind of hint towards a, a humanistic salvation in the work mm-hmm. of the work of the people um which depends it's you know like my soteriology professor what salvation are you really talking about here uh because we are saved by the people around us in the sense that we're sanctified iron sharpening iron mm-hmm. um and so i really it's a really beautiful picture of that um you know that we we shape we shape sharpen one another and bring each other closer to sanctification and our instruments to, of that change in um in each other's lives, mm-hmm. but um, it is for Geralmo the demon. It but also it's like not only that but it's also his influence on the people's palace too. Like yep. he has reformed the crap out of that place, mm-hmm. um, and he's done so much work through them. Yeah, uh, and that's and, that's part of what oh. the the church listed like as his crimes. Like you're meddling too much in politics. Yeah, um, yeah. that goes with the Dominican tradition, though, because like yeah. even like I went to the I don't know very much about Dominican, so I went to their website for their U.S. branch, and they said oftentimes our Dominican priests preach with one the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other because we want to speak to current events and what is going to be relevant in people's lives today. Mm. Yeah, sounds like he was a great dude. I don't know. I just I I was one of the people that I'm like, hmm. I need to study a little bit more about him. Mm-hmm. But on those like lists of like which four people from history would you want to play Dungeons and Dragons with or whatever, and he would probably oh, yeah. make the list. <laughs> he would. He definitely would. I'm going to be a tiefling, Jerome. I can totally <laughs> see you as a tiefling. Yes, a tiefling. <laughs> Um, oh my gosh, <laughs> we're such nerds it's wonderful um but yeah i mean this book man this is why i love our conversations is because mm-hmm. it always brings out a little bit more um than than i would have gotten on my own so all of y'all if you read the book and have a comment that you want to talk to us about please do um because you're probably going to see something that i'm not going to see because you know it's the community that helps us um, see God better, mm-hmm. whether that's um, in nature or in a story like this one. Mm-hmm. So, please give us your comments and uh, sharpen our iron because we we would read these books and just talk to each other um, because that's the kind of people we are. But we want to share it with you because. I value the greater conversation that we can get to this quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Um, so John, who are you and where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, tell you about um, your Methodist church. Yes, please do. Um, come at me. No, I'm just kidding. But kind of. I do. <laughs> I do. So I, Katie Tejador, who's one of our regular contributors, uh, she and I were talking about Twitter. And I was like, I find Twitter relaxing because I can just like sit there and talk to people and like have that con- and like have it out with them and then be gone. She's like, that's ridiculous. But yeah, I'm here for Twitter <laughs> conversations. So like, let's go. I'll at you. We'll talk. I love rigorous thought conversation. Um, I, so you can find me on Twitter at J camp underscore over underscore day. My name is John Campo Verde. Um, you can find me in all places, LTN, um, with that name or in the discord. My, my discord handle is my Twitch handle, Alenshin, a L L E N T I O N. So I'm in the discord. Find me there. Um, we can talk in the theology section or the Bible nerd section all day long um (laughs) and if any of my seminary professors hear this i promise i'm not a heretic please don't get rid of my degree thanks (laughs) Uh, i'm madeline turnipseed um you can find me on twitter like two or three times a month at mad underscore seed uh i am uh lady seed on the discord um uh, both John and I write and edit for Love Thy Nerds. You can see a lot of our work on uh, lovethynerd.com. Um, thank you all so much for, for listening. And I really hope um, if you have thoughts about this podcast, even if you haven't read the book and you're just like, wow, there's a lot of weird ideas that you all talked about. We want to hear your thoughts. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Um, you can catch all different kinds of lovely podcasts from Love Thy Nerd. Um, the best way to find them is to go to lovethynerd.com. This has been the LTN Book Club. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club.